Hi, and welcome to the Calm Birth Conversation podcast. This is Karen McClay, and I will be having lots of wonderful conversations with experts and parents around pregnancy, birth, and parenting, with the aim to help you to make informed choices and decisions around your own journey into parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Calm Birth, Australia's leading childbirth education program. So welcome everyone to another Calm Birth Conversation. I'm Karen McClay, Director of Calm Birth, and I feel very privileged today to have um, Dr. Andrew Bissett talking to us about breech birth. Now, uh, Dr. Bissett is an obstetrician at the Royal Hospital for Women, where he is um, the medical co-director of maternity, and he's also one of the lead obstetricians in breech delivery here in Australia. So welcome, Andrew. Hi, Karen. Hi, and so do you want to just tell us a little bit, Andrew, around how you got really interested in vaginal breech birth and and exploring women's options around this? So the way it started was that uh, when I was training in obstetrics and gynaecology in the 80s, uh, you know, breech birth was still very much an option. Uh, It was part of your training. And what I noticed, uh, it was already apparent that, you know, there were perhaps concerns about some of the increased risks associated with it. Caesarean sections were becoming better and better. And so, yeah, there were a number of people saying that you should be doing a caesarean on all these. The other thing is that... uh, we were starting to develop a more refined technique for turning babies. So at first I was very interested in the, in the options available for women. And I was very interested in how to make decisions about this. Then uh, what I noticed over the years was that in those years is that increasingly more and more cesareans were done for uh, babies that were presenting as a breach. There was increasing anxiety about birth in general, and it's mainly because of the medico-legal pressures. And then where this was being expressed very clearly was in the case of breach birth, there was increasingly that voice that this is just perhaps a bit too dangerous. Um, you should be just doing a caesarean on all of these. And so parallel with that, I was noticing that, all right, we were doing more and more caesareans. And I became then interested in the whole area of, all. Well, this is sort of being driven by fear. Uh, we're just drifting one way. And I thought, this is not a good thing. You know? and, and so then I then focused on the area of breech birth. And someone said that a big study was planned to see whether you know, what was the best way to deliver a breech baby? And I thought to myself, hmm, that's going to be a difficult study to do, mainly because people were losing their skills. So I then decided, well, if we're losing the skills, we better recover them. And so I became very interested and I wanted to be called to all potential breech births. And so because I was at these breech births and I said I would back them up, 
that clearly made me look at birth in general more closely, particularly normal births, you know, what, um, what helps or hinders birth and particularly women's, you know, that positive mindset, if you've got a positive mindset, I can do this. And, um, you know, I just came to realise the obvious that if that's the case, things go much better. So it's... So I became interested in that and I became interested in, well, how, how can we have, help women have safe vaginal breech births? Then the results of this study came out and then it was obvious that, um, you know, that reported a higher rate of complications. But then I thought to myself, well, is this the last word on the subject? Mm. I also realised that there were still women who, who, despite whatever risks you told them about, within reason, they would say, look, I want to birth my baby normally. And so, again, I became very interested in that and I felt almost a duty to support these women. Uh, part of the duty, it, that sounds almost very noble. Really, there was a lot in it for me in that I was, I was learning more and more about normal birth. Um, and, you know, it was a variation of normal, the breech birth, but it was very much a normal birth. And I've always found that fascinating and I've re I still remain fascinated with it. And, you know, there's been increasing pressure um, for women not to have vaginal breech births at all, not to have that option. And I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, I think there has, to, there has to be options. There's just as much pressure uh, around uh, vaginal breech birth. There's just as much negativity these days. And so I would like to continue supporting the option of vaginal breech birth for women, but it is becoming increasingly difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And that's certainly what we're, we're seeing in our statistics um, here in Australia. And even just as our practice, like a, um, as a practicing midwife, you know, it's not only are women not given that option of vaginal breech birth, even if they were to be given that option, it's very difficult for some women, particularly those that are in rural areas, to be able to achieve that because there's just not the skill there of caregivers to actually um, help them with, with uh, vaginal breech birth. So I guess while we're talking about this, maybe what we need to talk about first is what is breech presentation? What actually are we talking about at the moment and what percentage of babies remain in a breech presentation by the time women are ready to give birth? So it's roughly, if you were to not turn babies, roughly three to 4% of women by the time they go into labour will have a baby in the breech presentation. I think we've always used the figure more like 3%. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And breech presentation, that's that's basically coming bum first. So the baby hasn't rotated so that the head's down in the pelvis. That's right. It yeah. stayed upright and, and either the bottom or at times the feet are the presenting yeah, part right, yeah. coming yeah. into the pelvis. Okay. And what sort of things, if, you, if a woman does have a, a baby that is in the breech position and is, is deciding to stay in the breech position, what are some of the, the things that they can do to maybe encourage baby to start turning before they need to, to look at some more advanced um, 
sort of interventions to either get baby turned or then having to then look at their options around birth. What are some of the things that you suggest? So you're not talking about external cephalic version here. You think you're thinking of other things. Yeah, other things first before we go to that, and we'll have a chat. Yeah, about yeah, that sure. Look, uh, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, there are plenty of things to to try. You know, there are positional changes. Um, some people, uh, you know, I've heard the recommendation of swimming, acupuncture, moxibustion. Uh, there's the more and more I notice women are very attracted to the Gail Tully uh, Spinning Babies, Babies website. Yeah. Now, all of these are good, but the hard evidence for them uh, is not there. So mm -hmm. I've got, you know, because lots of women say, should I be trying these? Should I be trying that? I say, yes, look, you can try all of those. I'm not sure whether it works, but I suppose the main advantage of those, if there is a benefit, um, is that there's, it's, it's about positively engaging with your situation mm. rather than saying, isn't it terrible my baby's in a breach presentation and I'm really scared what might... It's just saying, well, let's, let's do something about this. You yeah. Know? So from that point of view, I think it's, it, it's important to do all those things. Yeah. And Andrew, do we know, are there reasons why some babies decide to stay in the breech position? Do we, uh, is it just that a lot of babies just basically forget to turn upside down? Are there, you know, are there more with common the reasons? With the majority of babies, we don't know why they stay breech. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are some well-acknowledged causes which we look for if the placenta is too low, uh, mm -hmm. if the baby's head is too big, if there's possibly something wrong with the baby, if the uterus is a slightly abnormal shape, um, there's some of the common things, but most of the time that's not the case. And so we're left, you know, with the majority of women where really we can't identify a cause, the baby's uh, quite well grown, um, there are no other issues. The woman's healthy. Yeah, so we don't know. Yeah. Okay. And then for those women that have been, try, you know, doing a few different things, like, as you said, the spinning babies, maybe yeah. going and seeing an acupuncturist and um, doing some, some work to create space for that baby to turn. If those babies don't end up turning, then I guess one of their options to do is, is to do an ECV, um, which is, is basically where caregivers relax the uterus and, and turn the baby. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and so that is a very accepted procedure now. And, um, yeah, we do a lot of these here. We, we try to turn four, at least four or five babies a week. And it's become uh, quite a well-oiled procedure. Um, we encourage more and more the use of the uterine relaxant. We always monitor the baby's heart rate before the procedure. We check with the scan. We always like to know whether the baby's appropriately grown, not too big, not too little. We like to know that there's plenty of fluid. Knowing all those things, then we usually discuss the aspects of the procedure and we like to get the uterus relaxed with a small injection of terbutaline, which is similar to Ventolin. And you'll try two or three times, maybe four times to turn the baby. It's a procedure that shouldn't hurt. It has to be taken slowly. Uh, 
and you've got to carefully grade how much pressure you use as to how the woman's coping with it, but it shouldn't hurt. It's not something you want done every day. And so under those conditions, 50% of babies turn. Works more often in women who've had, had a baby before because the mm -hmm. uterus tends to be more relaxed. Yeah. Emphasis is, is it's a safe procedure. You know, I've been doing these for 33 years now and I've never, I've never seen a, um, uh, a baby um, uh, harmed as a result of this. Mm. And, and that's amongst all the ones that I've done and the, the ones that other people have done. So that's a lot of babies. I can tell you that's roughly when I've tried to do a few back of the envelope com combinations, about 6,000. And seriously, I've never seen a baby harmed. I've seen a number of caesareans happen because the baby's heart rate dropped at the time. But most of the time, you know, if the, the two things that can happen during the procedure a bit, a bit concerned. Um, so uh, the baby's heart rate can drop and most of the time it just comes back up when we stop doing it. Uh, the other thing, if it doesn't come back up, you do a caesarean. So... Look, I've seen caesareans done as a result of this procedure, perhaps about at most 10 times in the last 33 years. Mm. And I would say that in five of those occasions, it really didn't need to be done because, you know, the problem had resolved, but people were so shaken up uh, that they just proceeded with it. The mm. other thing that can happen is that there can be some bleeding. Um, sometimes that settles down, other times... It might not, and that's when you have to do a caesarean. And that's because the afterbirth separates. Nastier complications like the baby, and again, I don't like talking about this, but you know, so there are things out there that you could um, uh, cut off the blood supply to the baby and the baby could die. Clearly, I've never seen that. Mm -hmm. I've heard of cases where that's happened, but they're very, very rare. Mm. Uh, so with our precautions of doing a scan, monitoring the baby, giving the woman careful instructions after, and emphasising that, you know, I, I always just say it's not a game of rugby union. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's a very worthwhile procedure to do it. And I think particularly in an age where it's, you know, everyone's so anxious about vagina, vaginal breast deliveries, I think we should be encouraging turning babies, you know, quite quite enthusiastically. Yeah, and and Andrew, you do that at the Breach Clinic there at the Women. So there's an actual clinic that that deals with women whose babies yes. are in a breach presentation. Yep. And do you accept women from all over the place? Yep to come there because I guess that's one of the issues and particularly here where I work in, in a country hospital, um, you know, again, the clinicians are not that comfortable uh, with ECVs, let alone vaginal breech birth. But, you know, it's lovely to be able to say to the women, look, this is an option for you to be able to do and go and, 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 and discuss and have more choice around that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as well yeah. and so that's an important thing I think for women to understand is that if where they're birthing or their caregivers are not comfortable with ECVs um, or even discussing options around vaginal beach yeah. birth that there are they can go elsewhere yes. to get a second opinion yeah. on it yeah um, yeah. And there is also the Breach Clinic at Westmead as well. 
Are there, are there bridge clinics down in Victoria and other states that you're aware of? Now, Victoria, perhaps uh, the best support will be at Monash. Yep. Monash Medical Centre. I think clearly they'll turn babies at the women's and the mercy, but the, the, the perhaps the, the hospital that offers the most choice is Monash Medical Centre. Yeah. Yep. And what about Queensland? Do you know up there? Queensland, I'm really not confident that there's anywhere that they will enthusiastically turn babies, but they won't... Um, um, uh, they won't, uh, they're not too keen on vaginal breach, so there's nothing positively set up, right? So, really, the best setup, if I'd have to say, is at Westmead. Um, okay, they, they have a very they have an excellent setup, they've got good support amongst the um, amongst a reasonable number of the doctors. They've got an excellent midwife there, Michelle mm. Underwood, who, yeah. Uh, supports it with a few others so that's really an exemplary setup and that's a credit to Andrew Fisher um, and his dedication and along with Michelle Underwood as well so yeah that's right um and and I suppose um if we we talk now maybe about vaginal breech birth I know that there's different positions that babies can get into in that breech position, as we sort of elaborated before, yeah. but they can be bum down or they can yeah. be foot down. Certainly there's times when, when a vaginal breech birth wouldn't actually be indicated for that woman or that baby. Mm. Um, but when is that? And when is the time that you would probably have the conversation to say to a woman, you know what, I think this would be a vaginal breech birth would definitely be an option for you to, to look at. So, um, so I would say that when, first of all, I knew the baby was normally grown, so not too big, not too little, and we determined that with a scan, mm -hmm. where her pregnancy's gone normal, whether she has no obvious medical problem. She herself is positive about birth, mm -hmm. keen to pursue a normal birth, uh, and that the baby's in a preferably uh, either what we call the frank breech position where the legs are, the feet are right close up to the face or where the knees are bent and so the baby's coming with um, bum and feet together. Where it's just a foot coming down, that's a situation that we advise a caesarean because... Um, there are sort of complications that can happen where the cord can drop down. Mm. Okay. So, so, yeah. Yeah. And is it and is it indicated for first time mums just as much as second time mums as well? Look, it is should there... be. It should be um, because uh, first of all, we have to do everything we can to get first time mums to have normal births. Mm. Now. There's a lot of pressure on first-time mothers, uh, particularly in the situation of a breach, where it's said that, well, look, it's your first baby. Um, uh, uh, we don't know what or how it would go. Best to have a caesarean, right? Mm -hmm. And while that's said with the best of intentions, they don't realise that if you have a caesarean with your first birth, what's going to happen the second time is that you'll have a caesarean. Uh, mm. Even though we've got the choice for a, 
feedback or an NVAC or call it whatever you like. The overwhelming majority of women are not having uh, normal births after a previous cesarean. Mm. One of the reasons is that, again, that invites certain risks because of the scar. So it makes sense to, particularly with a first birth, amongst other reasons, to consider a, a vaginal breach and because uh, it sets up the possibility that you'll have a normal birth in the future as well. Sure, you take precautions with it. Um, the data around that, there are some data to say that more women in their first births have a caesarean, but actually data from a, a good colleague of mine in Germany, she's got quite a collection of first-time mothers um, having a breach. And really it was no different. So <coughs> it's, um, I don't think uh, there's anything from a safety point of view to say that first-time mothers can't have it. And there are lots of positive reasons why first-time mothers should consider it. I mean, clearly it is the woman's choice, you know, uh, but the most women, from what I can see, actually do want to experience labour, right? And they shouldn't be scared out of that, right? Uh, it's very important that they have the opportunity to experience labour because... It's just a totally unique event. Yeah. yeah. It's a very special occasion. And it's we've got to be very cautious about these glib statements that it doesn't matter how, how you have your baby. You just want to be sure that the baby's alive at the end. Well, sure, we want a live baby, but let's face it, uh, most babies are, are going to be okay, right? And it is important to consider how it's done. Um, it's, uh, you know, I see this time and time and again. And see, even the women who have a go at a vaginal breach and end up with a caesarean, they, I've never seen one of them really be disappointed, right? They've all valued the experience of labour. There is just something very rich, positive, energising. Uh, you know, I, I see that all the time. So we shouldn't undervalue that. Absolutely. I agree completely. I think it's it, the the journey for women is is just as important as, as a safe baby. I mean, certainly we want a safe baby at the end yeah, of it, but yeah. we've got to have a safe mum emotionally as well. And I think yeah. one of the things I always talk about is it's having choice. When women have feel that they have choice and are able yeah. to weigh up and make informed decisions, yeah. then that's what creates that emotional safety. Yeah. 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 It's when that choice is taken away from them yes. that, yeah. 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 that it's an issue. And that's with anything that we have in our life, really. Yeah. Um, so when you have conversations with women around this, what is the evidence that you give them? You know, that I know that there's a, does tend to be a lot of fear-mongering happening around this with women um, where they're told, you know, it's it's twice as risky to have a vaginal breech birth as what it is to have a cesarean section. It's much safer. What, what is actually the evidence saying, Andrew, that so, you work with? So I, I'd like to tell you how I do it, right? Because mm. I don't like to launch straight into risks and numbers. Mm. I, I like to put that in the context of the first bit of evidence is to know how the baby does it, all right? So most women 
No, all women like to know how the baby does it as a breach. So I have a pelvis and a model and I demonstrate how the baby does it. And for that, really, for that overwhelming majority, they're quite, they find that quite very interesting, right? Mm. And uh, it helps them in their decision-making because if a woman doesn't have some idea how the baby does it, it's this... Um, slightly mysterious process which has been labelled as dangerous but when they see all the various twists and turns and the way the baby accommodates it most women say oh that's how it's done that looks okay that looks like the way it should happen i mean that's what happened um, just this week so that's the first part of the discussion the next part of the discussion is and the other bit is to say well actually how do we care for a woman, what are the special features of care? Mm. And that's just to highlight that it's not as though we're just saying, you know, come in any, any day and just have your breech baby and, you know, you'll be okay. We do take specific measures. And so I just talk about, you know, the various um, uh, approaches that are taken to monitoring, to watching the progress of the birth, to saying, you know, well, who will be at the birth, what actually happens at the time of the birth, all these practicalities, right? Emphasising that it's, in essence, it's no different to any other labour. On average, it's much the same as any other labour. It's no longer, it's no shorter. It's no more painful, it's no less painful, if we call it pain. Uh, then after that, I then talk about well, what are the risk concerns? And things that I talk about are potential short-term serious complications, well, and that's mainly death or a savage shortage of oxygen. And I just use the, the consensus numbers from the British College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists essentially saying that if you have a 1,000 women attempting a vagina breech birth, where everything's basically okay, two out of that 1,000, on average, will have some nasty complication, right? Again, they're things that we don't like talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's either death or a savage shortage of oxygen could harm the baby. If you look at a head-first birth, it's one in a 1,000. If you look at a planned elective caesarean section, it's one in 2,000. Now, each of those is low. There are differences. And the way we establish those differences when you look at enough numbers. Right? And you need those numbers because it's a rare, it's a relatively rare event. And say, try not to say that it's twice as risky to have a breach, but just everyone processes those numbers differently. Right? And that's been shown time and time and again that when you're talking about rarer events and things going wrong, first of all, people find it difficult to process. Right? It's not easy to say, well, what does it mean that something happens one in 500? And it means something different to everyone. Mm. Uh, and people in that situation are very influenced by what they've experienced or heard about birth through their mothers and immediate family, 
they will be influenced about by what a friend experienced or what perhaps they've seen on a television show. Clearly, the web and its information is very influential. So, but it's particularly, you know, like I saw a woman today who was able, she's considering a breech birth. And she, um, she said she spoke to a woman who had a vaginal breach and now she's really confident, right? Whereas if she were to speak to, say, someone who'd uh, had some difficulty, she might not be as confident, right? But that's how I present it. The other thing I say is that there are some less serious complications that tend to occur perhaps in 2 to 3% of breech births. That might be a fractured clavicle, a fractured collarbone, a fractured uh, humerus arm bone. It might be a transient shortage of oxygen that's a bit more than you'd want or something needing a little bit of nursery care. That tends to happen more frequently with a breach. Uh, but it also happens with a head first birth. So you could say roughly that it happens two to three percent of breech births, perhaps one to two percent of normal births, of head first births. In caesareans, it's probably even less, it's about you know half a percent. So that's how I present it. Um, I do try and talk about the implications. I do try and talk as well about increasing knowledge about the value of normal birth. Mm -hmm. It tends to switch on things in the baby, makes you more ready for breastfeeding. You know, after normal birth, you are ready, really ready for your baby. I'm saying the obvious, but you know it's quite striking because I've seen a lot of babies on it, and I look at women's faces. I look at how they pick that baby up and it's different mm. and it's all about once you've had a normal birth even if it's you know so a cesarean after labor that woman is ready to have that baby mm. right so there's something that's switched on something that's clearly good for the baby uh, and i say well that's that's a good thing um, and then we talk about uh, uh so the implications for the future, you know, that once you have a caesarean, well, it does create a pattern. So these are all the, it's really that package of information that women then will then consider. I get them to read some of the international guidelines, in particular the Canadian ones, mm -hmm. and in particular also the uh, Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Green Top Guideline on Breach, right? They're yeah. both very good. Uh, they've got excellent information and if people were to read those though the information that I've talked about now that's you know that's contained in those yeah beautiful yeah. okay and so really what then is would your advice be to women who are getting to that point in their pregnancy where their babies still haven't rotated yeah. and usually we sort of start to take a closer watch on them from about sort yeah. of that 34 week mark um where what would would your advice be to them particularly those that are not birthing <coughs> at the royal or birthing at westmead or birthing at a center that does offer choices around um breech birth what what would your advice be to them it's where they've, they've perhaps attempted to have the baby turned 
Yep. Well, the first thing is, you know, I don't want to sound too negative, but most hospitals will not be keen on the possibility of a vaginal breech birth. Mm. And it's probably not a good idea to push the envelope and say, well, I'm just going to have my a vaginal breech birth here because uh, staff will be very anxious, particularly obstetric staff. And it, that probably lends itself to poorer outcomes. So I'm saying the obvious, but uh, the more anxious staff are around birth, it's just no good. Yeah. So if you've got no other choice because, you know, you can't move anywhere, then... I don't like having to say it, but the safest thing to do is actually to have a caesarean. Mm. Right? Now, if you can be mobile, then uh, you can uh, go to another place which is more positive about the vaginal breech births. You can consider the possibility of a repeat attempt at turning, which is possible. Uh, we've had a reasonable, a steady number of women who are having second goes at uh, turning the baby, and it's good. Mm -hmm. You do it under the same conditions. You don't try too hard. You're watching the baby. And, um, yeah, so, um, uh, and then the other thing, of course, you know, like plenty of women uh, come from elsewhere to the Royal Hospital for Women, and they say, I want to consider a normal birth, and that, that's possible. Yeah? Those are three places in New South Wales that will offer it. It's uh, John Hunter, mm -hmm. uh, the Royal Hospital for Women, and Westmead. Yeah. yeah. Um, Andrew, we, we sort of didn't talk about it, but when when are women offered an ECV? How many weeks do Around, you... Well, 37 weeks is the agreed time. It okay. perhaps can be done a bit before. Look, it can be done later, but probably your best chance is around 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. Depending on how mobile the baby is, what well, can be done up till you know um, 40, 41 weeks. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for that, Andrew. I really do appreciate you taking time out to have no a problem. chat to us today. And um, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of women out there who will be listening to this who will now realise that they do actually have options and choices and can sort of go out to see what they might be and how to make a better decision yeah, yeah. Um, or a decision that works for them as well. And yes, that's, that's, right. that's yeah. the important yeah. thing. Yeah. It's got to be feel right for them yeah. Um, yeah. as well. Okay. So yeah. thank you very much for joining us.